0: Hey everyone, welcome once again to another episode of There's Just Something About Kansas City where we are in conversation with the people, places, and things that make this such a great place to live. I'm not going to guarantee that this won't go off the rails quickly, okay, with these two guys uh, in studio and I couldn't be happier or more proud to sit down with these two guys because of all they've accomplished in their life and Then they got together, and we're going to talk about all that. Of course, Doug Frost, a lot of people probably recognize Doug. Master of Wine and Master Sommelier, one of the few in the world uh, that has both of those uh, distinctions. We'll talk to him about wine. Brad Bergman over here, he is the founder, CEO, chairman of the board of Midwest Trust, a man that handles people's money and handles it very, very beautifully for them to make them uh, very, very successful. So you sort of wonder... Okay, Frank, where is this going? I mean, you got this guy. It's a money man. You got the wine guy over here. How did you two guys get together and start to work with Brad's side gig, which is your main gig, Yeah, which is wine? Well, what was the first, you remember the first encounter?
1: You you know, I think I'll let Doug handle that. Although if you learn anything about wine, you learn that you do need some financial resources to go alongside. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is the old saying that, you know, the only
2: way to make a small fortune in the wine business is to begin with a large one. And we are right on schedule. We are, we are trimming that thing down pretty, pretty fast. Um, Well, it's, it's uh, my version of the story certainly would be that Brad and I uh, ran into each other at, at various events and, and, they were basically charitable events. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brad was uh, very quickly, for me, somebody I could rely upon. You know, he'd give me that look of, okay, nobody's bidding on this, I'll, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And and it w- that became a friendship, really. And, and he started sort of, you know, coaxing me to be more aggressive about how I was trying to, to fundraise for these charities. And, and it's always been a something that I just do because, you know, you're, you're a member of the community. Let's do something like that. And so you try to help different groups and I'm not very good at it. And Brad kind of pushed me to be a little smarter about it all. And one thing led to another really that, that he, you know, he made the comment that if you ever come up with something interesting, you let me know. And I was like, okay, yeah, that'll never happen. But if it does, I'll, I'll let you know. And then it did. Basically, somebody called me up and, and said, you know, there's some land up here in, in Walla Walla Valley. You ought to come up here and take a look at it. And I knew the land intimately. I'd been going to Walla Walla Valley for 30 years, and I knew the wine industry up there intimately. And it was one of those things of, huh, okay, maybe I should. And I called Brad, and he was like, let's
0: go get on a plane. And so for you, was this your, this was not your introduction to wine, though, at, uh, at this point, was it? Was the Walla Walla Valley thing with Doug? You had already been... With Les Bourgeois in, in uh, Rocheport.
1: Actually, um, we had planted some grapes for fun out at the old Bear Bioscience campus. But this was our first foray into doing it right. And, and you know, I had the advantage. You know, Doug knows everything there is to know about wine. Yeah, he absolutely. hates the one I tell I tell people. <laughs> I, did, I introduced him Saturday night. I so said he's a Kansas City treasurer, and, and he just rolls his eyes. But... Um, but it was a great Mark Twain line. He knows everything about wine, and I know the rest. So, <laughs> <laughs> about wine, I mean. and uh, But it, it was, um, you know, I, I'm insanely curious, and I want to learn about everything. And my family having a horticultural background, I know something about trees and plants. And and so I got into that part in the program, but I hadn't gotten to the next step, but Doug knew that. So it was a perfect partnership.
0: Yeah, and We've, your and your dad was an arborist, right? He was. was the first one in the it's state. He was the first
1: certified arborist in the state of Illinois, Illinois when they started that program, but my family's roots go back literally to the 1800s and selling trees to Frederick Law Olmsted for the Columbian Exposition oh, wow. in 1893. So, we we are we are uh, we were dairy farmers apparently back in Europe, but we decided to branch out into trees. So yeah, and no, no, you were no, no. you were
0: born and raised on the banks of the Mississippi River, right? I
1: was. Yeah. So not that's, born there but raised there. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. But but raised there, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you were I mean, you were right into the uh, you right into the environment and the land and you know, how how to probably rotate crops and, and do all those a, things. Actually my run, right?
1: passion was even as a little kid, I loved the outdoors that mm-hmm. learned about the ecosystems. I knew all the birds. I know the botanical names of trees that's a byproduct of my father and, right. and uh, so uh, and, and Doug shares that passion uh, for the environment as well as long as, as well as our passion for charity we have uh, you know we have we've never had a, a harsh word with each other uh, but I but being May, fair but maybe I, maybe in a little bit well, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. after this is over <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you uh, said <laughs> no but it, but it's it's uh um, it, it's just a it's a lovely business. You're making people happy, and yeah. and it and you get to be creative. It's just amazing.
0: Business. Yeah, and and Doug, for you, you your path, Portland, Oregon. I think it started. I was born there. there. Yeah, yeah the I was West, born West. there.
2: But we moved out to the Midwest when I was a little kid. So I actually spent some years here in Kansas City, and then uh, we lived Texas, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, etc. We moved around a lot. My dad was in the grain business, and actually mm-hmm. spent a spent a, a you know a season, as it were, as the chairman of the board of trade here uh, in KC. And, and so, you know, I moved here right out of college and it was supposed to be a temporary stop and I liked it. And I, I found things to do here and I found, um, you know, a, a career here, if you will, in, in the wine business, it was just importing wine and distributing wine and yeah, selling right. wine. But the fun part, I remember the guy who, who hired me into the business, he was like, uh, you really like writing wine lists, don't you? Cause I was writing wine lists for a hotel here in town. I was like, yeah, I love that. And he's like, but you only write two wine lists. I was like, well, no, actually I write three, you know, he's like, how would you like to write a hundred? I was like, <laughs> that's what I would like to do. And, and, and so it was really fun. I, you know, I was dealing with uh, the old school restaurants like Starker's or La Bona Bears or La Mediterranean, you know, places like that, that I was helping them write their wine lists. And, right. and that was just a, a gas. I really, uh, kind of, you saw that as as something that I would do for as long as I could and and slowly uh, learned about um, education in the wine business. And so I became a master of sommelier and a master of wine and and started hitting the road basically educating people or consulting with people. Yeah. And, and some of those customers I still have like United Airlines and a lot of those customers sort of fell by the wayside. I'm, I'm so good at my job they, they kicked me out after a couple of years. But, you know, it was it was fun. I mean, and that's – I've spent the last 35 years or so really just doing that. Just trying to teach people about wine, prepare candidates for the Master Sommelier, or the Master of Wine, helping people uh, set up their distilleries or their wineries or or their restaurants or their hotels or cruise ships or what have you. And and so I kind of thought that was that was good. That was mm-hmm. that was fine. And the idea that I would I would fall into making wine just seemed unrealistic because I knew how much it took to do so. It, it just seemed really really unlikely. Um, and then this thing happened, and and I'm I I've kind of frankly always lived my. Uh, career as an opportunist, you know, just what it was. Seriously, you know, it's like, hey, this is a cool opportunity, and and when you're on your own, which I, uh, as I say, I, I spent three decades working for myself. You really do, you know, as they say, you eat what you kill, and and so you just kind of grab a gig here and grab a gig there, and and hope you can pay the bills and raise two kids and and stay married and you know not have your wife hate you too much. And, yeah, and bring uh, home a
0: bottle of wine every once in a while right.
2: That does help. <laughs> that that does help. But uh, you know, it, it for me, this was one of those things. Of, I'm not going to get a second opportunity like this, and and I've seen how difficult it is if you're underfunded, if uh, if you don't have the right team together, it's impossible, frankly. And and so I looked at this and saw we could actually do this. We mm-hmm. could put the right team together, found some really talented people to help us get this done, and you know those people are making it work. I, I it it's it's been. Really, you know, nerve-wracking mm-hmm. and a lot of sleepless nights over the last seven years. But um, it, it it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Pretty and, 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 Brad, for you, the, it, it's sort of a side gig for you. And I think you, you know, after you established Midwest Trust, got it running, been running for the last 30 years, you know, it's running beautifully. And all of a sudden, you start to look outside and say, you know what? Not only are you funding to try to put this together and, and, and get together on this. But I'd, I'd like to learn more about this and how much more do we do? And you know, how, how do we do this exactly, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's and the, you had
0: the master to tell you.
1: Well, and what's interesting for me, I mean, my life, my whole life's been a side gig. And, and Doug just described his whole life has been side gigs. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, if you're curious and you want to learn about something, you dive in with both feet. And, and two things that Doug said, you know, points I would draw from what he said – one is it shows the, the generosity of spirit that mm-hmm. he has. He helps people. You know, we both have this tendency. We take in orphans. We help them. Whether it's
0: yeah, you've or, taken in my wife and I. We, we no, I didn't. Mean orphans? Yeah, <laughs> no, no. We but understand what but you're I think, about. but I think
1: that's a Kansas City value that we all share. You know, we have this town is accepting of people who come here. I came here later, um, and and they, they take you in and they try to help you. and, and you look at the charitable commitment from this community. And Doug mentioned our first contacts were you know usually in charitable wine auctions and and uh, you know, we both are focused on the environment, you know, uh, charity uh, and and uh, and trying to do something meaningful. But I, the other point I'd make is, um, there's a parallel here. Picture the New York Times restaurant critic. Decides to open a restaurant, you know. Doug, Doug has yeah, been really. Doug has been telling everybody else his whole time. Now he's now he's out there, and he leads with that fine chin. Yes,
0: right. Yeah, exactly. That makes it extremely interesting. But but for you too, you you did dive into this with both feet. I mean, you you didn't just dabble. You went whole hog. You got the yeah, Bournemont Winery
1: yeah. out in uh, Bucyrus it, there, and we, we we planted our first grapes as friends and family, and. And it was, what it was, year was that? That was '16. Uh, but what was funny is, um, you know, we plant them. First time I touched a grapevine, I was planting them. First time I saw fruit or picked it, I was, you know, we had to pick our own. And I call, I call up Doug and I go, Doug, we've never made wine. What the hell are we doing? And he, <laughs> he hooked us up with Jacob Holman, who's a fine winemaker at at uh, Les Bourgeois over in Rocheport, and uh, and we were shocked at it, at how good it was. And mm-hmm. each year it gets better and it's kind of like the hopeful in law story, you know. It's a lot better than we expected it was going to be, and and uh, and, and and we've just been blessed with the project that we're sharing, Echo But he helps with everything because he doesn't want me to embarrass us both, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> By screwing up something. Else. <laughs> and, and so Brad's
0: got the Borgmont Winery uh, in Bucyrus at about. Uh, Two oh, yeah. you know, 2,200. Yeah, we, we refer, were right across the from yeah, one 199th yeah, like, of yeah. is, is the best way to said. it. Also, um, the Les Bourgeois yep. Winery in Roseport just drove by there not too long ago. They gone away to Cincinnati, Ohio. And then, of course, then you two have collaborated with yep. the uh, Walla Walla, which is Echo Lands uh, in Walla Walla, Washington. One of my first jobs in this business was in Lake Chelan, Washington. Oh no way! Okay, ah, right, up, area. right up the street there. Yeah, not bad. But when I was there, and we'll talk about this as far as Kansas, Missouri situation too. And now, all of a sudden, it's Walla Walla, Washington. When I was there, it was all apples. Yeah, I mean, it for was sure. apples yeah. and it was cherries. For sure, and that's all it was. And that was nineteen. 19- 76 77 yes. right in that area it was still all of a sudden now it's all it's all wine and now all of a sudden all these things are cropping up here in the Kansas and Missouri area all these wineries and wine it, and it's not a uh, a fad because you have to have the climate and the soil and the you know everything else in order to grow these grapes and all of your product yeah that make it into really good wine, not just something you screw the cap off, okay, but really good wine.
2: Yeah, there's over a 1,000 wineries now in Washington State. And, and back in those days, there were really, you know, depends upon how you count it, but there were far fewer than a dozen. And, and 1975 is a little bit of a watershed year for, for Washington State because there was a wine made by uh, the, the group that became or was in the process of becoming Chateau St. Michel, And they made this single wine called Cold Creek Cabernet Sauvignon in 1975. And I knew about St. Michelle. I knew about Washington State wines then. But I was a wine buyer at that point. And and so I found bottles and I started buying cases of this particular wine, 1975 Cold Creek in the Yakima Valley, because the most fun in the world in the wine business in Kansas City at that point was to blind taste somebody on that wine. They'd taste it and they'd go, well, this is Bordeaux, clearly – you know, because we even back in the in the late '70s, early '80s, we were playing the blind tasting game. I had no idea I was getting ready for the master sommelier exam <laughs> yeah, right. we'll or the master of wine exam. Yeah. But but basically, we were, and that wine blew people's minds. I still wish I had a bottle of it. I, I'll bring it up every now and with the old, you know, with the old guys in in uh, in Washington, and people will be like, oh. You had that wine. I'm like, I had like three cases of that stuff. It was so much fun to, to mess with people's brains. It it was just in the process of happening, and and by the time I got excited about Walla Walla Valley for for sure was in about you know 1983 1985. I started importing uh, into into the state of Missouri about uh, 13 different uh, Oregon wineries because Pinot Noir was on their horizon and that was about to happen. And at the same time, I was like, well, you know, I got to do the same thing up here in Washington state because being from being a native Oregonian, I was like, you know, I got to represent my people. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I remember discovering it uh, there. I was told there was a Safeway in on Capitol Hill in Seattle I should go to. And they had this really great Washington wine set. You know, you could actually go buy some Washington wines other than St. Michelle. I was selling St. Michelle wines already at this point. This is like, you know, 81, 82. And I I went there and I bought a bunch of wines. And one of the wines I bought was Woodward Canyon 1981 Cab, which was uh, Rick Small's first wine. It was kind of the first famous wine of Walla Walla Valley tasted it and said to hell with this I gotta go see what these knuckleheads are doing and and drove you know the five hours from Seattle to Walla Walla Valley and met Rick and met Gary Figgins of Leonetti and and started bringing the wines to Kansas City so it, it really is in many ways it was Kansas City's openness to new wines I always mm-hmm. try to describe to people how we're probably more like Denver than we are like St. Louis when it comes to our wine attitudes we're like we except we don't know about stuff so tell us what we don't know yes whereas St. Louis has always been a bit more traditional. It's it's more like, well, you know, we know about good French and Italian wines. We're from St. Louis. You're,
0: it, you're just being nice now. I, I, yeah. so You can tell
2: I, I was a national, uh, you know, the s- state sales manager. So I had to deal with St. Louis and Kansas City both. And it was like two different countries. Yeah.
0: And so when, when Doug started talking to you about this and he wanted to get the Walla Walla thing and you guys started to collaborate a little bit, when did you really get into this mindset that I, I want to do this, you know, n- not on my own because you have, have Doug, to uh, to lean on about how to do it, and of course your son Alex, yeah. brilliant as far as wines and I mean the things you guys talk about just just blow me away. So when when did you go? You know, let's let's make our own. Let's do our own
1: winery here. You know, like most things, you know, I'm a historian. So is right. Doug, I know you care about history too. But um, you always I always have my say. You know, the worst advice your parents, teachers, coaches give you is learn from your mistakes learn from somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> so this man has seen everything. And, and, but, you know, there's also a really interesting history. I, Doug would speak to this better than I would. But, you know, the reason the United States is as wealthy as it is, everybody thinks it's the coast, it's really the fact that we have a river system that allowed us to penetrate this most amazing agricultural area that spreads from the Rockies to the Appalachians. And, you know, they were, you know, they were piddling around with the Erie Canal, Look at the existing structure that allowed all this boundary to flow, you know, to to other places. Right. Rivers were the highways. And and the rivers here were not just important for that, but you know, the, the people who came here from Europe wanted to make wine. And so they brought their European traditions and developed a wine region. This was a this was a burgeoning wine area. You know, we just happened to run into prohibition where people took it seriously here. And, <laughs> and other parts, you know, they're like what, I live near Canada. What the hell do I care about prohibition? But, um, but that, but but when when um, you look at the geography, you look at the history, you look at trying to avoid making mistakes, and and uh, you know it, we we're we're intrepid, but we're not crazy. So as we went along, and one of the things Doug said is you know we besides ecology, you got to think about climate change too. So we, you know, it was it was it was uh, he helped he helped me form the idea that yeah we should play the the warming of the of the climate.
0: Right, and and as it warms, okay, um will you know, it has already become I'm sure, you know, Walla Walla Valley in the, the state of Washington will it supplant California? Will it supplant Napa? And as everything moves up, are they are the wineries there starting to see this and starting to move themselves? To, there, to to yeah,
2: go? Yeah, there is Frank. There is a lot of movement right now. A lot of people rethinking what they've done because the the, the environment has changed. The climate has changed. Um, so that uh, certainly motivated us to find more land up in the foothills of the Blue Mountains, where it's cooler and wetter. Mm-hmm. And and the rest of the world, you know, the rest of the wine world are are making the same kinds of mental uh, calculations as to what needs to change. Um, so you have, in fact, a, a Spanish grape like Albarino is now legally being planted in Bordeaux, and and if that doesn't, you know, if that isn't a red flag for people to understand right. how much things are changing, I don't know what is. At least for a wine person, it's like, yeah, what, you know? Yeah. And and the the idea that we have to alter the grapes that we're growing and the places we're growing them and the ways that we're growing them and the ways that we're making wine is is pretty self-evident to anybody in the wine business the the scariest part about it for for many of us are are the fires the the wildfires that have happened up and down the west coast over the last 10 years i mean they've always been there but they're they're at a level of ferocity that We've never had to deal with before, as far as we know, at least not within you know our memories, and and that creates problems that you you can't really just work your way past. Right. You, you can't necessarily even move your way past that. So Walla Walla is is uh, kind of lucky in so much as it's not next to the same uh, same you know level of forest that that Napa and Sonoma are. So, you know, if I were in Napa right now, I'd be I'd be disturbed and concerned about two issues. One is like I say, the continuous wildfires. And as soon as that smoke gets in the air, it gets in your, it can get in your grapes and, mm-hmm. and create problems there. And and uh, for me, secondarily, that the, the, you know, the process of wine drinking is a bit faddish, like any other alcohol beverage. I mean, it really is what's cool, what's next. Right. And Napa was cool for, you know, If I, forgive me for, you know, putting us all in the same era. But for, you know, our generation, Napa was really cool. Guess what Young people don't give a damn about. They don't give a damn about Napa. You know, they're like, "What's next?" I don't want to drink what my mom and dad drank. I want to drink something exactly, cool right. and different. So, yeah. you know, it's fun to be from an area that's still burgeoning, still yeah. in the growth cycle.
0: Yeah, God, that's amazing. And so, the so the smoke thing, we've had, we've had the Canadian fires, the California fires, the Oregon, Washington fires. It sweeps over our area as well here. Have you had any issues with that as far as as your grapes are concerned?
1: You know, it's interesting. We don't really have a problem with it here in the Midwest, even though they burn the Flint Hills, the, the, the prevailing winds. Right. You know, I have this theory that everybody developed their communities upwind of their stockyards and their factories. And so if you look at in the in the middle of the country, everything's kind of southwest. But it really hasn't been an issue here. We picked up a little issue at one point because of Oregonian fires, but um, at, well, at Echolands. But yeah, the, in 2020. Yeah, yeah but, we but, saw a little bit. But, you know, when you're, when you're making, you know, the highest quality wine and, you know, we've got nothing but 90 scores for Echolands. Um, right. You're like, every little element matters to us. And, and one of the nice things, and this, this will probably sound wrong, but if it's not perfect— you know, Doug. Doug, I've never seen anybody so perfectionistic when they're making the wine. He's checking every press run. He's sitting there just mothering these grapes, and uh, sometimes smothering, probably. But, well, but or or mothering, never yeah, mind. Yeah, we yeah, won't go to the other mothering. Yeah, yeah. mother. What, Which mother, mother. Every- what are you thinking? But um, but but what's what's you know? So it's going to be amazing. But if there's something that's not perfect, we have other alternatives for it. We'll sell the grapes, do something right. else with it, and 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 that's the passion that's in the Echolands project and 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 then you know we're experimenting you know we're we're gonna we're gonna replant Cabernet Franc and and Merlot uh out on uh, out on the uh, on the uh, Bormont uh, property around the lake right and I think with climate change we're gonna be able to pull it off and and so you know people have got to adapt you know humans are reflexively adaptive and they're gonna to adapt to whatever the changes are and, and and you know that's that's probably the most important sign of intelligence is your ability to adapt.
0: Right. Yeah, I think maybe ten years ago, I, I'd never thought about drinking a a Missouri or a Kansas wine. Okay, I just never in fact I tasted some of them, and to me a lot of times it was probably I was drinking the wrong one, they were sweet, you know, they were mm-hmm. almost they're almost sugary sweet, you know, it just was like that taste. I went, that isn't nah, I, I just didn't like it. But the evolution of the wine growing and the wine processing here has changed so much in the last 10 years, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, you know, the, the irony here is that the the wines of the Midwest have traditionally been sweet and, and been allowed to be made sweet because... The grapes themselves are so damn tart. The great irony here is when people would be like, oh, all the wines here are sweet. It's like, actually, dude, if there weren't some sugar in there, <laughs> the, your face would suck inside <laughs> itself because the tartness is so extreme. And it's, it's the particular grapes that we grow here. Um, the, ca- the Cabernets and, and the Chardonnays don't do as well in the, in the Midwest because of our, you know, torrid hot and humid summers and our incredibly cold winters. And, and at, maybe worst of all, the fact that those can happen within a couple of days yeah, of each right. other. Yeah, you know, right, that, exactly. that really creates problems. So as Brad was saying, if you grow next to a lake, you get a moderating influence. You know, there are ways to mitigate it. But in general, we've grown grapes that tend to be super fiercely tart. And and what's happened over the last 10 and 20 years is people have learned how to grow them better so that they're not so fiercely tart. Mm-hmm. And, and people have realized that, you know— Just because it's tart doesn't mean that somebody isn't going to like this wine. And so now we're seeing dry examples of of wines, whether white or red. I'd say in general, the white wines of the Midwest have have really figured out, or the white winemakers, I should say, have really figured out how to make really good white wine. And red wine is still a little bit of a hurdle to overcome, but I've been drinking these wines for 40 plus years and really, I, I would have to say, really uh, being frustrated often at the lack of respect that people give to to the winemakers here. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a lot easier to make a Chardonnay in California than it is to make a Vignol in Missouri, you know, quite frankly. It's, sure. It takes a lot more work to make a Norton than it does to make a Cabernet Sauvignon. And and so, you know, I, I, I feel sorry for the fact that 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 so for so long people have not given the winemakers here their due, but that, that's changed. Changing. And and I, I was really glad to hook uh, Brad up with Jacob Holman and mm-hmm. and Alex uh, his son Alex has gotten intimately involved in that. Oh. In yes. the winemaking process, and and has been a, a real boon to our uh, you know efforts in in Walla Walla as well because I've got you know a colleague I can talk to about a lot of these really granular issues that knows what the hell he's doing and and it is it is at the end of the day a technical process that you got to figure out how to shepherd these grapes into a bottle without screwing them up.
0: Yeah, and and for you as well, um, you brought grapes from California to grow and to mix in with your wine, your winemaking process. Ed Borgmont as well, yeah. uh, and I'm sure there was some influence from him about which grapes should we bring in, or even from the California wine growers go, I'm not giving a Midwestern. Winery, any of our
1: grapes, we can't do this. You know, actually, it's the opposite. I, they're delighted to sell oh, their grapes. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, everybody wants to sell their grapes, particularly when they know they're going to go into something really good. Uh-huh. And you know, we have no well, then trouble. They trusted you, well, to make Doug, sure their really, grapes. Doug, yeah, right. You know, people, people knew Doug when you uh-huh. when you were in, in 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 the in the area. everybody knows Doug. And they go, well, we want to see what you're going to make with it, and people were willing to to sell grapes to us, but. But, you know, getting back to your point, though, about your attitude about Missouri wines, um, had you gone to the University of Missouri, you would have a different attitude because <laughs> I was interviewing a fellow last night, and I talk to people all the time. And, uh, and and when they went to the University of Missouri, I said, well, what was your favorite teacher? Eh, your favorite class. Mm, what was your favorite thing to do? Well, I went out to the A-frame on the bluff. <laughs> I, it, well, all my firsts were there at <laughs> Les Bourgeois. And this fellow last night said, you know, I, that's my fondest memories all occurred within – you know, a hundred feet of the A frame uh, yeah. on the bluffs. And it's it's an amazing cultural artifact for that community and
0: Yeah. Yeah, my daughter spent more time there than yeah. she and when she went to University of Missouri then yeah. she did school okay so we'll she'll do, carry that with I mean, her longer she, than she will she is still carrying it with her father guido day.
1: sarducci the two-minute university everything <laughs> a, you got from school i'm sorry all the educators out there can be condensed into about two minutes now
2: so. and, and guido sarducci was from carneros in in yeah. Uh, sonoma yeah in California. It, yeah yeah he's a character hilarious. yeah
1: yeah so
0: what what is what is the future what is the future here? The future looks bright here and the future looks bright in Walla Walla, Washington and all the other areas Now they're now growing and, uh, uh, you know, uh, making wine uh, in other parts of the United States besides the ones you think about right away, California.
2: Yeah, there's wine being made in all 50 states, and there's grape, you know, vine wine being made in 48 of them, and and the rest of, you know, Alaska and North Dakota, they will borrow grapes or they make wine from um, other fruits and, and things like that. So, it, to me, that's a really good thing, and it, it's it's been kind of sometimes I've been treated as if. Uh, it's charitable work, you know, speaking mm-hmm. nicely, kindly of Kansas and Missouri and efforts in the Midwest. And I'm always like, no, that's actually a bit self-serving because I learned a long time ago that that even people who think they don't like wine, when you tell them the wine is made 10 miles from their house, they're like, oh, I'll try it. And and it, it you know, opens yeah. their minds. And the minute, you, the minute you have people willing to try wine, you have people willing to learn enough to discover the wines that they like. And and I was a wine salesman, you know, I, I my job was to, to find a way to sell people wine and and I learned that making wine uh, local for mm-hmm. people makes wine more interesting for them and and I think it helps build community I think it helps support farmers who need yeah. to have you know th- there's there's far too much um, you know of, of a break between people and their food and the people who create food and and if there's anything that we in the wine industry can do to help that, we damn well should do so, and and I I feel like we are doing that, and it, it has a, a snowball effect in in good ways, at least for those of us who think that you know moderate drinking wine is good. I know there's always going to be people who should moderation. Not- yes. Is- it, is is there over, moderation, Brad?
0: It's oversold.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. God. Moderation in all things, including <laughs> <Yeah>. moderation. <laughs> yeah. you know, don't take that moderation moderately thing. moderate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't take that thing too far. Damn it. Yeah. 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 No, I, I I really do think that that um, it's it's a it's a boon for communities and it helps uh, communities and and farmers and it's it's better for us to know where our food comes from and wine for me still is a food.
0: Yeah, and Doug, I've I've spent many a. Uh, an hour at uh, Borgman, right across the street, with uh, with our good friend here, Brad. And Br- Brad would come in some days, and I'd have a I'd have a glass of wine. Had been through a little bit of wine, and Br- Brad will come in. And he'll have he'll have two other bottles. He'll go. He'll he'll pour a little into my glass of these two other bottles, and go. Yeah, try. That's my blend. That's that, that's the blend that I want them to make. You taste. You go. <laughs> How would you know that all three of those things would blend together to make this? Other wine, this really great tasting wine. How it, you being a uh, master of wine and a master sommelier, it it I know it's more difficult than that. But that mindset of just putting these things together and trying these things can create a whole new product. How does that work?
2: Well, it, it's it's mostly confusing, and 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 uh, the creativity is mostly experimental. <laughs> you know, yeah, really,
0: like. Uh, Like the the, the days over at Borgmont. Yeah, it's very experimental, yeah.
2: I mean, no, unfortunately, it is that one plus one never equals two when it comes (laughs) to wine, uh, certainly when it comes to blending. Um, So I think you build upon experience and, and being in a relatively new area like Walla Walla Valley, which has only been planted seriously since the 80s, you don't have a lot of experience to fall back on when you're in a place like Burgundy, They've been making wine there for mm-hmm. over 1,000 years, maybe 1,500 years. And and there's a great deal of, of experience to fall back on. They, they know which grapes work. They know how to plant them. They, they know uh, where to plant them and how to treat them. And and so uh, certainly when people get impatient about the wines of, of Missouri and Kansas, I'm like, dude, we've been working with these grapes for like two, 20 years. Give us a break. you know. We're going to figure this out. And I think we already are. And and uh, the only way you figure it out is is through experience. You, you, you just cannot— look at a piece of paper and go, okay, this is going to work. There's just no way that, that, that it, it wine particularly you know people will talk about the electronic nose and 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 these different ways that that technology is going to help us make wine it's all bullshit because you know <laughs> that's not how it works wine is a matrix and so if you you know if you will if you if you just push one thread one way or the other it changes the entire matrix and so simply looking at a bunch of chemical compounds on a sheet of paper as the electronic nose does and say okay that's going to be really good you, it it isn't necessarily going to be good. You just have to try a million different things. There's there's an old saying that ten thousand decisions go into a bottle of wine. Now I don't know if it's you know eight thousand or whatever the hell it is, but it's pretty close to that.
1: Yeah, it, it's one thing. That, you know, it, the <clears throat> the most fun thing you have to do in this business is blending trials, and it is we never miss. I mean, I would go anywhere to go for a blending trial. It is hilarious, and and it will never be replaced by artificial intelligence. And it's as Doug mentioned, but but, you know, one thing that Doug in, in, and I are looking at, I think we've got enough geographic uh, interest, but, you know, Doug's got a lot of background in spirits and knows about that. And, and so we're, we're doing forays into other things and doing collaborations. And so I think what we'll do is we'll have more of the, the full spectrum of, of, uh, of, of opportunities and experiences to offer people. And the other thing I would say is, Um, our magnum opus is we have this massive new winery going up in Walla Walla and it will draw people because it is, uh, one of the most beautiful settings you'll ever see in the world. It looks like Tuscany and you're just maybe a mile away from the Blue Mountains and it is cantilevered with glass staring into the blues and the view's amazing and the grapes will be planted around the base and, um, and it is, uh. You know Drew Bledsoe's places there, the Figgins he mentioned. Um, you know we got Kyle McLaughlin. If you're a Twin Peaks or a Dune fan, he's wanting to collaborate. So we've got we've got opportunities to 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 grow because neither one of us are ever content. Right. We're always going to tinker. And it
0: it will be a destination if it isn't already, right? Yeah. I mean not just for people who can drive from Portland or Seattle or you know Lake Chelan or you know Wenatchee or you know Leavenworth or one of those cities, but we're all over, yeah, you know, all over the country. It'll end up being a destination spot,
1: right? Well, I went to the Okanagan. My family wanted to go to Banff, and I drug them to the Okanagan, and that was that's beautiful. That was there. probably ten or fifteen years ago, and like nobody knew. They couldn't even sell the wine in the Okanagan. It, so, if you go north from Walla Walla into Canada, there's a similar spot, cooler, uh, a, a glacial valley called the Okanagan, and and I, you know it's new. I who wants who doesn't want to go find something new? In, yeah, exactly. exciting. But, yeah. but you know I. I think we've got, you know, there's enough change and diversity within uh, where Echo Lands is that so I think we're going to be able to, to develop that for as long as Doug and I can draw a breath. Right. I think so and too. You,
0: but you're, I mean, you're going to expand and grow more and get a bigger, or is your place set and you're just going to grow and continue to grow with the the plot that oh, you have? Yeah, I,
2: th- I think um, the the winery itself is purposely built to sort of limit. Uh, the amount of growth, uh, okay. and, and that's because when you get to this, uh, you know, ten or 15,000 uh, case annual limit, um, which is, art, I'm just, you know, throwing a number around, but basically for me, that's one kind of business. And when you're trying to make 50,000 cases of wine, that's a different kind of business. And and so for me, what is right-sized for Walla Walla Valley, uh, what's right-sized for that particular place and the style of wines you can right. get there is that 10,000 case or so right. level um, what's been done here in in the middle part of the country in the past with les Bourgeois, certainly more in that 50,000 case uh, level and, and and I think that that's right sized for you know uh, more beverage wines and and more everyday wines mm-hmm. um, because certainly the kinds of wines that we're making are we're hoping you know up in, in Walla Walla are the kind of wines that go in in the basement for a while, the kinds of wines that are uh, more about uh, that the you know the benchmarks that we we think can be achieved here in the United States and here um, uh, with with the grapes that we're growing here that that can stand astride anything that anybody else is making in the rest of the world. Um, when it comes to the wines that are here in the middle part of the country. Uh, like I say, I think there's some just absolutely delicious white wines being made here. I will drag dessert wines from here around the world and blind taste people on things like Late Harvest Vignol in London or in Sydney or, you know, in San Francisco. And people fall out of their shoes when I tell them where it's from. I still remember the, the famous wine writer Clive Coates being blinded with me uh, by, by Jimmy Francais, you know, our wonderful a restaurateur here in Kansas City, yeah. Mm -hmm. who who blinded us on a wine. And I, you know, start, you know, Clive kind of looks at me and I'm like, okay, well, I live here, so I guess I got to go first. And (laughs) I kind of explained how it was, you know, some chocolate notes and some blueberry notes and a touch of American oak, uh, obviously where the wine has been aged. And, uh, you know, the acids are are pretty ripping here. Malic acid, uh, you know, kind of almost like a green apple note here. Very interesting. It's like a Merlot that's been grown in a cold site. And Clive uh, grabs the, you know, unfortunately, the half-written note at that point. He's like, oh, yes, Merlot. I think Napa Valley is, you know, very good, very good acidity. And I was like, yeah, Clive, but the last time I tasted something I thought was Napa Valley Merlot with way too much acidity, it was Norton. Yeah. And so I think this is a Missouri Norton. And Jimmy's like, ah, you got me. you know. And Clive's like, Norton, missouri <laughs> it was like yeah dude it, it
1: happens here and you could have, of course <laughs> reminded him that nearly all of the european grapes are on rootstock that came from the missouri river valley yeah right. which, which yes. is a very sore point as i learned when i was sh- sailing on a french ship to uh, antarctica um there were about 80 or 90 mostly academics on it and uh, and everyone was sick on the drake passage except unfortunately i was not so I hung so you out. drank all the wine. I drank wine <laughs> with the crew, and of course, you know they thanked us for, um, you know, World War One and our sacrifice, and mm-hmm. World War Two and our sacrifice, and I thanked them for Lafayette and Rochambeau and De Grasse to cut off Yorktown so that we could win, and and uh, uh, but I brought up the missouri river rootstock <laughs> saving all of european grapes, <laughs> and suddenly the air got very cold not because we were heading to antarctica but they were very surly about that yeah they, they took that very personally i didn't say anything about food i just said something about the right. wine that was
0: they, they don't have a whole lot to hang their hat on so you know that they, they have to grab onto something and keep it you, you know, know my, forever
1: my mother's norman <laughs> french and and, and Vermont was a was a Frenchman who uh, ran right. away from Canada and came down here and opened up the the river. In fact, next year uh, is Bormont's three hundredth anniversary of being the first European to make wine, oh, wow. which he did in Atchison on what we now call Independence Creek right. because of the Wilson Clark. So it was almost a hundred years before Listen right. Clark, and and uh, so wow. you know there's a, there's a history yeah. and 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 Kansas City and should be proud of their history. You know we're a we're a fabulous agricultural uh, experience where. Or a transportation right. experience as well. When you think of Kansas City and its qualities, we've got we've got the we had the best transportation system. Um, uh, you know, historically, because the river system, you can't get much better, and the railroads, you can't get much better. Right. Yeah,
2: the 1869 building of the Hannibal Bridge. I mean, that really put us in front of everybody else, which was a perfect hustle too. It really cause, was. Cause yeah, they said they
1: had the money and they didn't. They had no
2: idea. <laughs> but it, but it, you know, to me, it's part of why Kansas City is a restaurant town. Mm-hmm. Is we became a crossroads, and people would provision here, and you know, you're going to have to stay at least a few nights when you provision. So you need some place to stay and some place to eat, and and. And and, you know, so restaurants, which is what I come from in Kansas City, it's in our blood
0: here, right? And some people never left. We have all these (laughs) immigrants coming all across the United States, and German and Irish and Chinese, and you know, every other culture you can imagine. Native Americans were here, you had the Mexicans, the whole thing, and all that culture came right to the port, you know, just to Kansas City. So we get now we got to get across a river, okay, and then we can you know continue on. A lot of people went. I've gone far enough. I'm good right here. Okay? <laughs> yeah, well, right.
2: there was there was money here. And, you, have, you know, sure. Irish like the Pendergasts, you know, who who, who figure out, right. well, we can run some bars here. And then eventually we can run the city. <laughs> That's <you> right. <laughs> yeah, we are. In, install a president, you know, yeah, small right. details. but Okay.
0: I, I would be remiss, and I'm, I'm going to ask you both a question at the end, uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, you you sort of glance over. Well, I just did this Master Wine and Master A thing, and there's only like three or four in the entire world that carry both. I saw Psalm one and Psalm two. I think I was, I it was just to me, I, it just, I I was blown away. I, I just had no idea how hard it is to pass that exam and. I don't know the unique individuals like yourself that have the ability to drag all that out, just tasting or even just smelling a wine.
1: If you watch closely, you saw that Doug was actually administering the exam. Yes, and he you was. you could yeah. see him in there, and it shows That's exactly his, why I asked. He's him not a the question. showboating, immodest guy like some of the other right. people who were in. Oh that. God!
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and, and and the truth is, I hate that first movie, and 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 I really do. And and I I I do not blame the filmmaker. I could blame a couple of my buddies, you know, who are master sure. sommeliers. Because you can, if
0: you want. Yeah, oh. no, I, <laughs> I really
2: will, because I think that they they were eager to sell part of the story, and sure. and to me, not the good part of the story you know, they were eager to sell the story of a bunch of, you know, testosterone poisoned boys with their flashcards trying yeah. to fool each other and fool everybody else. And that, and mm-hmm. that the master of sommelier, at the end of the day, the examination is supposed to find people who embody the spirit of hospitality and the film, because somebody was trying to make an exciting, uh, you know, yeah. film, they, they never understood that, uh, much less, you know, tr- embodied that. And, and, the hospitality side of things is is what we're supposed to be testing to find, and and we generally do. But it, it, it is a difficult thing to do. It, you know, it's very difficult to test somebody for heart, as it were. It's easy mm-hmm. to test them for you know blind tasting or uh, factoids and, and minutia, which is is certainly what the exam becomes. Um, but it, it, it is – we joke about it all the time when the, all the master sommeliers get together. My friend friend Tim Gazer will say, you know, we're all on the island of misfit toys. Yeah. <laughs> we're all a little bit weird in our crazy ways. We're all when, a little cray.
0: When, when, when did you realize you were a little crazy? <laughs> when did you realize you had this – Thing about why well, I can smell? Well, I know that that smells like lime is in, in the rock, or you know the the gravel. It's gravel from you know wherever some v- dirt road somewhere. Uh, actually, in France. It, it was very
2: much a it was a um, it's a revelation that came to me that that I did experience that that I started working at Plaza Three um, and the wine steward. There was this wonderful guy named John Scupney, and uh, at and the first weekend. Uh, I was there. I won a, a wine contest. You know, it was like who can sell the most wine. Uh, you know, I sold the most wine. And so Scupney said, well, man, you must know quite a bit of wine." I was like, "Dude, I'm an ex-actor. Yeah. I just am pretending to be John Scupney." <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "You want to come to a wine tasting this week?" I was like, "Hell yeah! What are we doing?" You know, he's like, "We're going to drink some Bordeaux." And I'm like, "Cool. I've heard those are really good. I had never had any." You know, so I went to a wine tasting of Bordeaux, and I, I still remember that experience of going to several wine tastings in a row, and suddenly. Knowing what it's like to walk into a room and go, "What's that smell? what's that smell? and And suddenly being you know, sort of woken up to a sense that i I had never really focused on or 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 maybe even experienced before. And it changed, really, changed my life at that point. I, yeah. I, I was like, I got to do this some more and some more and some more and some more and and so here I am.
0: <laughs> here you are, absolutely one few people in the world. And of course, you were your undergrad degree was in theater. Yes, you did a one-man show on Beckett. I, I think <laughs> I during part of the deal. Yes. Uh, you also wrote for the Midwest Punk Fanzine. Okay, you love the oh, yeah. punk. Oh, yeah. All, all the punk rock music. Hell, scene. yeah. You are a little cray-cray. Oh, yeah. You, you, you Definitely. Just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Just a little bit on that side, which is great, <laughs> which has really worked well for you. You and I are just crazy because we're crazy. You know, it's one of those deals.
1: You know, we're, we're all acquired <laughs> tastes. I think that would, that would be a, a, a fair way but to describe it. But, you know, but it is interesting. I, I love the point he makes about service. And I draw a parallel because if you're making wine, you're serving other people and, and the way you deliver it and the way you give them a beautiful place to enjoy it is really important to us. Um, it's the same thing in my day job. If you don't have a servant heart, you do not want to be in the trust business because um, right. you're basically fixing other people's problems all day and um, uh, it, 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 it permeates everything. It permeates everything that's good and noble about human yeah. beings that they want to serve others. and. And, and this community really reflects that because I get to deal with most all the wealthy people in town, both of you do too, but, um, you know, you very, very seldom meet somebody who's just completely selfish and self-absorbed. Mostly they're people who are concerned about helping others and mm-hmm. and look at the the, the the amount of money that goes into philanthropy here because of it and, uh, and, and the entrepreneurial spirit too, you know, it, Um, there's an amazing number of entrepreneurs and sometimes I think we worry and spend more energy trying to attract other companies to come here and we've got all these great homegrown companies and Mm -hmm. and you know what's interesting if you look around so, at one time, the wealthiest and then second wealthiest guy is from just up the river in Omaha or Sister City, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, you look down to to the middle of nowhere, Arkansas in Bentonville, and you've got the richest people in Texas, Arkansas, Missouri, wherever else they live. If you look to Wichita, you've got the Cokes uh, <laughs> brother David until he passed, was the richest guy in New York of all things, and he came from from and so people create these these businesses. And we also, because we're welcoming in the Midwest, you know, most Western countries have got a demographic uh, problem where they don't have enough young people to replace because because birth rates are lower. Right. Because of our a, a willingness to uh, to bring people in and to and to help them, you know, become part of our, our community, um, I mean, you know, we're we're going to be a different kind of a thing, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna succeed where you know, Italy's got a negative birth rate and Japan. And I mean, just go around. China's going to have, China's been passed by India. Now they're going to be, they're going to be less than a billion in by 2050. I Mm -hmm. mean, there, 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 there's just, um, there's just a lot of things you have to look at from a big picture standpoint to decide where you want to live. And, and we did it for other reasons. We think it's cool and and it's, it's hilly and there's lots of fun things. Mm -hmm. And, and and it's not too big, and it's not too big, not and, too big, and yeah. people are accepting of you in ways mm-hmm. that other communities, you know, you have to live there for five generations before they let you join. And uh, here, they're they're willing to take in, yeah, take in strangers, and and uh, I think it's the most amazing yeah. thing. Yeah, took
0: place. me in, that's for sure, me and that's too. why there's just something about Kansas City. That's why we do this. And here's the question, okay? This comes from Sarah, okay, my wife. I'm invited to dinner. To Brad Bergman's, what wine do I bring?
1: I would say don't bring any because I've got so much wine. <laughs> That's, at not my the house, <laughs> That's not the at answer. That's not the answer. At my house, well, and, you know, you'd you like to say bring my current favorite, which uh, both of you probably know what I'm drinking the most of, and 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 partly I will tell you that what I'm drinking now is what I think is it, it should, it, you won't want to cellar it for as long. So you're trying to drink things that are ready. Mm-hmm one of the disappointing things for Doug and I is um, we'll make something that we know is going to be really good and when it's cellared, and we sell out of it and, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's like you can't there's none left for us to even sell her and uh, um, although we had we had a we had a tasting at the World War one museum and uh, some of the things I thought would probably come away i I saw the uh, I saw what was left and it was a very, very little wine came away <laughs> from there as well. But um, so I, w- I would say bring what you like. You know, maybe expand my horizon. Bring mm-hmm. something you tasted that I've never tasted. You can't do that to Doug. Yeah, I was just going go to say Doug's that. House, you're like not that. Good. You know what? If you, if you wanted to, you might. Um, I remember one time uh, a mutual friend of ours, his, his wife's family had a place on Hollow Mountain that was not commercially available. And he brought that. And Doug figured out where it was from and what it was. But not – he didn't he'd never tasted it before. Right. So try to bring something nobody's ever tasted. Yeah. But please not sweet.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And, and and for a guy in, in Doug Frost who had a speaking engagement in Salina one time at Big Booty Trudy's. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh yeah. Just what do we bring to Doug Frost's you know, house if we if we want to bring a bottle of wine.
2: You know, I I I feel the same way Brad does. I, I think I always tell people when people are like, oh, you know, I've got a I've got a big dinner party and and you know, shouldn't I go to the store and get those wines that have the, the, the highest point score on them? And I'm, I'm always like, no, unless the guy who's writing the review is coming to your house, why the hell would you buy the wine that guy likes? <laughs> like buy that. the wine your guests like. Right. It exactly. really is a, you know, it's again, it's about hospitality, is hospitality is about respecting each person agencies person's you know singular Characteristics and 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 seeing those, you know, be respecting those, uh, it, you know, it's not about quote unquote tolerance. It's about you know engagement. And 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 so for me, I you know, I'll try to figure out what you like and make sure that that wine is there for yeah. you. Um, but you you know, if you bring something along, you might bring something I don't know about, and it will open my horizons. There there's you know, hundreds of thousands of wines in the marketplace, and I only know a pittance about you know yeah. about most of them.
1: You know, one thing: if you spend time with someone, you learn what their tastes yeah, on. and that's, obviously, he takes it to a high art, but Frank, you and I have spent a little time drinking wine. I oh, know yeah. what you like, and I can figure that out. Yep. I w- You know, one thing we forgot to mention, and I think uh, this will probably be something you can riff off of, but um, the Midwest does make really awesome sparkling. Mm, and yes, we and for- you are we forget it, Well, we forget well. about sparkling, and mm-hmm. so the first time I went to Les Bourgeois, I tasted the sparkling, and I said, this is Vieux Clicquot. I mean, it tastes just like Vieux Clicquot. I don't know how you did that with the cooperage and everything else, but it it was, and, and then, um, and J, Jacob said, well, I said, why don't you, why don't we make a whole lot of this and this would be great. He says, wait till you've made it. It is incredibly labor intensive and, right. and, and we have a pet program, which I'm going to let Doug talk about, but. Um, sparkling is uh, is an amazing product that we can make in in some interesting places
2: the the first big successful uh, brand in the united states was in 1831 the cincinnati wine company which was making a sparkling catawba and it was it sold about a million cases a year Wow. It was a massive brand in the nice. 1830s, for God's <laughs> sakes. So yeah, no, we have a, a heritage, and, and, and there is a lineage for a sparkling wine being made in the middle part of the country, and successfully so. And I, I, I really uh, do think there's a lot of opportunity there. So I've been trying to uh, push you know, anybody who will listen, including Jacob and, and Alex and, and, and such, to, to go for it, man. Do that. You guys make good sparkling wine. Keep doing that. Make more of them. Talk yeah. about the
1: Petnat, too. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. the Petnat. That's, that's what the hip people like, too, right now.
2: <laughs> well, that is that is certainly... Well, you, you
1: are hipping me up then.
0: Go uh, ahead.
2: Yes, well, Petnat <laughs> is, is very much um, kind of the, the new groovy sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And pet Petnat is short for Petillon Naturellement. Um, it's now a, a classified a category of wine in Europe, in the EU, but that's only two years ago, uh, maybe three years ago. They, they finally codified that name, and we just call it short Petnat. And what it is is sparkling wine made as one would have made it 800 years ago. In, in, indeed, um, if you go to the the, the old uh, Abbey of, of uh, in Limoux in southern France – Back in the 1350s, there was a sparkling wine being made and and being sold as a sparkling wine. A lot of times people will talk about Dom Perignon being the guy who invented sparkling wine for the record. He did not think a wine that had bubbles in it was anything other than a flawed wine. The yeah. man believed that <laughs> yeah. if you made a sparkling wine, you'd screwed up and somebody else <laughs> needs to take your place. You know, so but But people have played around with this what we call method ancestral for a long time. And basically all you do is take a wine when it's fermenting and when it's fermenting, it's creating carbon dioxide and stick it in a bottle before it's done. Now, if you stick it in the bottle too soon, bottle blows up, you know, (laughs) if you stick it in in the, the, you know, in that bottle just at the right uh, time and put a a, typically just a crown cap, you know, like a Coca-Cola bottle cap on top of it, you'll have bubbles in there. And, and that's essentially what a pet nat is. What we do that's different and, and what we do that's similar to, to what's done in Europe is we'll then disgorge it, which is a champagne process whereby we get all the dead yeast cells out of the, the bottom of the bottle because it looks like sludge. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the idea that somebody has to get a tea strainer well, out. Yeah, you know? strain yeah, it as you pour it in a glass. Yeah, that's just weird, <laughs> you know. But there's a bunch of Americans who make pet nat, and they do it in that style. We, we disgorge ours so it's nice and clean and clear. And we, frankly, we can't make enough to keep up with it. it, it right. Exactly as Brad said, it's a massive pain in the ass to make because your timing has to be just right, and and so you keep fermentation going really slowly so it doesn't get past your you know right. your, your you know the moment you're going to want to bottle it, and and then um, it you know because of that we we can't make enough to to keep it in stock
1: basically. Wow, That's great. and our first go. The bottles were exploding. They were exploding, and, yeah. And, of course, where they were stored, they call up. I happen to be out oh in Walla Walla. They call them, get this out of here now because <laughs> the bottles were blowing it, up. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just
0: so you don't have worms swimming around the bottom of your sparkling. You'll be good, okay? Yeah. Get we'll leave to- the worm with the tequila and we'll keep the, uh, they'll keep the sludge <laughs> this, out of the sparkling. kind of right? gets
1: back to learn from other people's mistakes. So. <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, you two have been just incredible Appreciate your time. And how busy you are you going to scatter different parts of the country and the world here soon? And I just, I wanted to wait until I could get you both in together. You would have been great separately, but I just thought the two of you would just be terrific. And just, uh, this is just perfect. And this is one of the reasons why there's just something about Kansas City. You,
1: you know what would be fun sometime would be to do this uh, maybe a little bit later in the day and have us do it with wine. Yeah, I, and, I'm, and, I'm with and you. we could actually <laughs> expand the group a little bit. And that might make for a really interesting show. That might, Because yeah. really, some things come out when, you, when you're when you sharing a bottle really? online. Yeah, I've, I, I, I've, I've learned that. I never that. knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I've never known that <laughs> over there. No. Exactly. Yeah, all those sorts. Guys,
0: thanks so much. Appreciate Frank, it so thank much. Thank you, Frank. It's a
1: pleasure. It's a, it's and thanks, wonderful. Sarah, for setting it up. She, yeah, you bet. She's a fireball.
0: Thanks for being here. All Don't right. forget, just something about Kansas City.